Um, all right. Well, we're rolling now. We are. Counting us down. Oh, wait. Three. Oh, we're going to the island of Naboomboo, kids. Ooh. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, television, music, books, spoken word, uh, internet comic type things. Stuff. If you can take it in with your senses, we talk about it. Hell yeah. And we introduce it to you, the audience as well. We talk about how it has built us as people. We hope it builds you. Uh, One could call us the retrospective that is introspective Ooh, i like it it's cute oh it is uh and this week we have the beginning of our trilogy of witches yes it's october kids halloween month everybody loves halloween don't you i do so we're doing like kind of a a theme thing it's like uh it's all of them witches month hell yeah missing out so we're doing some some hardcore witchery uh, and the first, the first installment of our hardcore witchery trilogy, uh, bed knobs and broomsticks, kids. Uh, yeah, a movie that I insisted Tari watch because for quite some time, the better part of a year, I've been looking for an excuse to revisit this uh, uh, treasured staple of my childhood. Uh, I don't know, Tari, if you've seen this movie ever before. I don't know if you had heard of this movie ever before. Uh, it's definitely going to be, I think, the least Halloweeny witchy movie we cover <laughs> this month. But I was so dedicated to watching this movie again that I forced a theme for the month, the whole month of shows, in order <laughs> to have an excuse to carve out time to watch Bed Knobs and Broomsticks again. Look, I dig it. Um, I had, I think I'd heard the name, but I'd never seen it. Um, and I don't even think like it was ever really on my radar. Um and so like it was a it was a treat checking it out like i can see where it fits in the like timeline of disney stuff so it's yes it's a 1971 live action animation hybrid uh from disney directed by robert stevenson the same gentleman who directed mary poppins he also directed the love bug the first herbie movie oh um and i think he did a sequel to it he also did darby o'gill and the little people uh but he he directed mary poppins as well and this is a movie that shares more than a couple things in common with mary poppins the the far greater scene and renowned of the two i believe this movie was actually shelved for a minute because disney felt it was a little over similar to mary poppins Mm. um but it came out in 1971 very very much in line with if you can imagine like um so there's a big there's a big stretch in the movie, and we'll talk about it, where they go to the Isle of Nabumbu, and it's uh you know our live action actors uh, set against an animated backdrop, first under the sea, and then sort of in a, a jungle beach environment. Uh, if you can picture the penguins, remember the penguin waiters and Mary Poppins, that whole sequence, kind of the general general vibe. Right. Uh, fun fact, right up top about this movie came out in 1971, won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. It's here. Oh, really? And I guess it was a combination of what I would say is actually a pretty excellent meshing of uh, live action and 2D animated elements. But also, I, I would assume uh, the the climax of the movie. By the way, kids, if you've never seen it, uh, the movie stars Angela Lansbury as an aspiring witch who learns via correspondence. Spoilers, this movie climaxes with Angela Lansbury's witch leading an art using substitutionary locomotion which is the spell that makes inanimate objects come to life to reanimate many many like tens uh dozens of suits of antique armor to march on uh invading nazis so Mm. if that doesn't make you want to see this motion picture i don't i guess i want to talk to you because what are you like I mean, I will say that she didn't write a single murder, which I was disappointed about. I okay, so we'll we'll talk about uh, <laughs> we'll talk about how <laughs> I. It's not so much. Uh, I was looking for like what what do I tie this into in my head? Like, what could this be a potential origin story for? Uh, and you know what I settled on uh, a couple of weeks ago. We covered the uh, King Diamond album, them. Uh huh. My head canon is now that this is an origin story of the grandma from them. 
Ooh. Like, so do you remember at the beginning of the movie uh, when she first gets her uh, broom in the mail? Uh, yeah. She takes, uh, Angela Lansbury takes a uh, correspondence witchery course headed by one Professor Emilius Brown. And she gets uh, spells uh, in the mail and they uh, send her a cat, Cosmic Creepers, and now they, they send her a broom. She's so excited when she opens it up. She says, and it's very, you know, it's very um, performative, uh, uh, I, I guess as befits the, the sort of tone and style of the time in the movie. Yeah. Uh, she kind of says, my first broom. To, like, nobody in particular. You know what I mean? Like, she just sort of says it. And maybe yeah. she's talking to the cat and being very uh, showy about it. Seems like she's talking to nobody in particular. So that was the moment real early in the picture where I decided, oh, she's talking to them. She's oh. talking to the invisible guests. Yes. And, like, the fucking in, uh, in tea, when all the teacups are, and invisible guests, when all the teacups are levitating, substitutionary locomotion. Dang. I mean, that would mean she takes a quite dark journey from oh, yeah i mean i would watch that movie where it, it's it's the journey from her being like a really like kind friendly uh beginning witch to like a real dark bloodletting uh lady so like you know how like when um when Captain America is frozen and wakes up like decades after World War II and uh-huh. he has to try and come to terms with how dark and compromised everything became. Like it's not like America isn't the like we're the scrappy underdog that fights for good and like we're the force of truth and justice in the world. He wakes up decades later and he's like, oh my God, what happened? It all went so dark. The story of America is the story of Eglantine Price. Oh, dang. <laughs> yep. I mean, it tracks. She she was at some point emancipated from her old teacher, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> or Dr. Brown. Uh, oh, Emilius Brown, by the way, so uh, played by David Tomlinson, who, if you haven't seen Bedknobs and Broom 6, you will still recognize, if you were at all a Disney person growing up, as Mr. Banks from Mary Poppins. Ah, I've never seen Mary Poppins. Really? Yeah. But so, there's a sequel coming out, Tari J. Is it a sequel? I thought it was a remake. I think it's like a, I think it's like a pseudo sequel. Okay. It's I like mean, the, it's like the Halloween of Mary Poppins. She's only <laughs> killed three people instead Ooh. of fifty. <laughs> uh, I'm oh only. Oh my god! She fucking kills him and throws him into her infinite bag, <laughs> and no one ever finds the body. <laughs> She flies away on her umbrella. Uh, so good. It's dark. Ah, <laughs> um, uh, man. Um, I'm only going to see it because Lin-Manuel is involved. And you know that anything Lin-Manuel does, I'm there. If, if Lin-Manuel Miranda is involved in a project, I'm willing to bet it doesn't suck entirely. Uh-huh. Even if it ends up not being my jam, it's probably at least passing. Like, there's a certain bar we've cleared. Right. That's true. Uh, he don't he don't produce no garbage. I really... I, I want Lin-Manuel Miranda to play hip-hop Venom. <laughs> like, they'll do in the in the Venom... Spoilers for Venom, which we saw together. Yeah. In the, which we haven't talked about on this show because I don't have a whole lot to say about Venom beyond... <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I don't... I feel like... If someone's going to do hip-hop Venom, it's got to be Marshall Mathers. It's got to be Eminem. So here's how we set up that conflict, right? Okay. So Venom, I'm going to tie this back into Bedknobs and Broomsticks somehow. Watch me. We'll see. Watch me do it. Um, Okay. Just you wait. So uh, uh, Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock. uh, Spoilers for Venom, kids. On the Bedknobs and (laughs) Broomstocks. Bedsticks and Broomknobs episode of Missing Out. That sounds dirty. Sidebar of a sidebar of a sidebar. I'm never going to stop laughing at the little kid, Paul, uh, his reading of, what's that got to do with my knob? Um, So uh, Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock in the mid-credits sequence. Don't give me that look, I'm sorry. I just... There's so much happening <laughs> right now. I know. I'm going. I'm jumping from platform to platform to platform. It's like an Infinity War when Doctor Strange is making the platforms right. and yeah. Star-Lord's yeah, jumping yeah, yeah. around. And then he puts the bomb there and he's like, boom, fuck you, and dives into a hole. Right. That's me. Got it. Uh, so Eddie Brock in the mid credit sequence of Venom, because that's what we're talking about, uh-huh. uh, uh, bumps into Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy, the man who would be Carnage. So presumably we're setting up 
carnage for a Venom sequel that almost assuredly will happen given its uh, first couple weekends uh, at the box office. Right. Who knew? Um, so presumably that'll be the sequel. But what my what my hope is is that like the mid credit sequence of the next one of Venom two. Uh, we introduce uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda as some... It doesn't even matter. He could just be like, I don't know, I'm Frank. I'm yeah. here. Who, who are you, Frank? Are you from the comics? What? what com- I don't get it. What comics? Um, and another symbiote <laughs> finds him. And like, uh, uh, you know, the symbiotes all have names like Venom, Carnage, Riot. So he just needs a good, like, totally arbitrary, crazy-sounding one word name for his symbiote but the symbiote's whole shtick just like venom's whole shtick is like he's on my planet i was a loser and i call you a pussy and i pronounce it pancreas uh his the other symbiote's whole deal will be just like he's super into hip-hop he's super into like hip-hop and r&b and that'll give uh lin-manuel a great way to sort of step into the narrative but then as we tend to do in in superhero sequels, we introduce one too many villains, and we introduce as part of this sort of gimmick where like a Lin Manuel is going to write all the songs. But if you weren't in the bag already, who is the actual like antagonist? And Venom has to get in the middle and try and pull them apart. It's fucking Marshall Mathers in his first like lead on screen role since Eight Mile. He's back as like the second lead of this picture to be the dude who has to try and like. He's like the actual villain. Right. And Lin-Manuel is like a vigilante who has to fight him with his lyrics. Ooh. And then at the end, it's like, it's like what, what side is Lin-Manuel on? And then Eddie Brock has to end up teaming up. It's like, oh my God, we're not so different after all. We both pronounce it pancreas. Uh, and then they have to team up and fight the Marshall Mather symbiote. And then... You discover in the mid credit scene of that movie that the character Marshall Mathers was playing is actually grown-up Paul from Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and oh. the symbiotes came to Earth because he played with that knob a little too much, went to space, and brought the symbiotes back with him. Damn. I like this multiverse, like this whole connected universe thing. Disney it's pretty tight. owns all of it. Swish. Hell yeah. Um... <laughs> I uh, I feel like it just just to you know round some of these parts out, <laughs> just um, to try and make sense of all of the bullshit you just spent ten <laughs> minutes saying. Um, one, I would I think I would name the the Lin Manuel symbiote beat. That way, it's, okay, yeah, it's like a, it's a pun in two ways because they're always violent things, and also a beat is a music thing. Tight, sure. Um, so wait, what's the what's the Eminem symbiote then? Um, the Eminem sim, the Eminembiot, Eminembiot, Pancreas. Pancreas. Just call him Pancreas. <laughs> just so, just so, like Venom has a reason to say Pancreas a bunch in this movie. It's my single favorite thing about Venom, by the way. Yeah, the way he says Pancreas. Um, my favorite thing is all the dumb, cute, uh, web comics that it inspired. Uh, just go on Twitter and, and search Venom. It's it's really good. It's really cute. <laughs> They're so adorable. There's one I was looking at this morning. Um, I'll tweet it out because I don't remember who the artist was. But it was basically like, um, Eddie is like, I bet you can't fit in this jar. And Venom's <laughs> like, I bet you I can. Gets in the jar and he like closes it up. And he's like, you tricked me. And he's like, I just want to eat. I just want to eat salad. And so he just starts <laughs> eating salad. And then, and then uh, there's like an, a bonus uh, panel where it's like, I promise I won't eat trash food anymore. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, it's cute. Right. No, uh, unfortunately, no bed knobs and broomsticks memes that I'm aware <laughs> of. Like, why isn't why why is nobody why isn't Marshall Mathers remixed Portobello Road? <laughs> Maybe he has, you just don't hear it. Oh my god, yeah. it's so subtle. It's true. He weaves it, but like if you, <laughs> if you if you pull out all of the lyrics from "Lose Yourself" and also the beat, <laughs> somewhere embedded in that track is a really quiet. <laughs> yeah, and he just... put it in there so that he could layer everything so heavily on top of it that no one but him will know, and that's power. Oh yeah, um, you just got to slow down the beats per second. 
that way like be like he he sped it up and then put the beats on and then uh it's all there but like you you got to go from it being a three six to a four four that's it. That's that's the that's the adjustment. Um, so Marshall Mathers, big bed knobs and broomsticks. Fan. Totally. Um, <laughs> uh, so I my first note about this movie is it's real British. Yes. Like, it's like the most British movie I've probably ever seen, with the exception of the fact that they call soccer soccer yes they call it soccer which is of course in uh, in the uk kids it's called football football everywhere except for here which of course makes way more sense we call football football in this country but football makes no sense as a name for football because the feet play into it like 10 percent of the time re- yeah. relatively rarely right uh whereas soccer is all foot based <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> and head and head sure yeah, yeah, yeah but but you know i don't think they went Headball, that's the ticket. I think somebody <laughs> just had the novel idea of using their head at some point during the football game. Right. Um, though I do like the idea of someone being like, you said we was playing headball, right? And they're just like, they got a severed head. And they're like, oh, don't bounce too good. Oh, no, it's just don't bounce too good. And they're like, whose is that? <laughs> Coach. <laughs> oh, you can't play with us. No. No. Um, oh man, but uh, yeah, it's it's like it's insanely British, it's insanely it's set, British. Uh, it's set in 1940, movie came out in 1971. It's set in 1940, obviously, during World War II, uh, which is how we get Nazis, yes. Well, could be set now and we'd get Nazis, Ugh. uh, but uh, save it for the remake. Goof, hell yeah, <laughs> bed knobs and broomsticks 2049, yeah. Uh, it's just Nazis again, um, but there's cartoons some more. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. Isle of Nabumbu is CG, kids. They're <laughs> photorealistic lions and hippos playing soccer. Oh yeah, um, get that j- Jungle Book treatment. But it's set in um, uh, 1940, so during World War II, and uh, Eglantine Price, the Angela Lansbury character, has to take in these three uh, ostensible orphans. Um, who had to be moved out of London during the Blitz. Very similar to Narnia, actually, which I didn't hadn't thought about prior, but that's also a big part of uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, is that mm-hmm. there are four orphans in that as opposed to three, but they end up having to be sent during the Blitz, I believe, to go live uh, in a, in a you know, separate, uh, relatively safe location where they find some magical shit. Ooh. No Mr. Tumnus in this story, but there are talking... Animals, yeah, talking is that animals. Like, is that speciesist or racist towards uh, fawns? Like, is that is that like, am I calling Mister Tumnus an animal in a way that's offensive or problematic? I mean, he's. I, I mean, I think it, he's. I, I think I feel like you're saying two separate statements in that Mister Tumnus well, wasn't there. I do that, but there were talking animals because there were talking no, animals in narnia no right but like but, yeah. but what i'm saying is like is mr tumnus mr tumnus is uh as a fawn he's half man half goat right so no is so calling he's... him an animal like which, which half of him am i accidentally shortchanging the man half or the goat half or do we need a different designation you need a different designation we bro. need a different pronoun yeah. i think calling him an animal is insulting right yeah but he's technically not I mean, man, I mean, hey, Mr. Tumnus is more human than all of us. That's true. But I mean, technically humans are animals if you want to get down to it. Right. So then why don't we call humans animals more freely? Because humans take offense to that because it's ego. They're like, no, we're better than the animals. We need to take a cue as we murder each other over invisible (laughs) people in the sky. Uh, Okay. I mean, it's those invisible people in the sky that make us think that we're better. (laughs) Like... Like anytime someone has an argument about like whether humans are animals, they're like, no, 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 no. God was like, you preside over the animals. Yeah. Right. But then Mr. Tumnus comes along and it's like, well, this, this upsets my illusion of my own importance. (laughs) Kill it. Kill it. (laughs) And that's why it's a good thing for all of us. Mr. Tumnus is safe in Narnia. It's true. Can you imagine if like, um, if the average like uh like like somebody who works in like the coal mines of West Virginia uh they're at work one day and they take the pickaxe and they swing it back and the second it hits the stone boom they're somewhere else and they look around it's like what the, did i did i breathe in 
something weird. This looks like a cartoon. And suddenly they find themselves in the middle of the soccer game on the Isle of Nabumbu. What do you think that would do to the psyche of like the average American blue collar, like industrial worker? Like somebody who was just not prepared for that kind of whimsy today. Because mm. Eglantine Price and Amelius Brown and those kids, they were on an adventure. They were up for some whimsy that day. They just got threatened at knife point. Right. Like homeboy they tried to get the other half of the book for him was so ready to stab some kids. And his his uh, his buddy, his crony, when they go and try to find... So Eglantine... Uh, Context. So Eglantine Price is a witch. She's looking for the substitutionary locomotion spell, but she only has half of the book. Emilius Brown shut down his correspondence course. They don't know where the other half of the book is. They end up at this like rare antique book dealer uh, who's got like some shady people with knives working for him. And they don't have the other half of that. Well, they have the other half of the book, but it doesn't have the spell that they need. But they realize, oh, the star of Astaroth, which has the spell on it, it exists in this kid's book. So at knife point, Homeboy threatens these children. It's like, give me your cartoon children's book or I will legit stab an orphan right now. <laughs> um, and the only hang up his buddy has when he's like, when, when dude's like, go stab them. The only reason his buddy pauses is no, 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 no. I'll use my knife. Right. You don't. It's sentimental. I kill orphans with my blade. Yeah. Not yours. Why would you? Yeah. Why would you use someone else's blade to kill some orphans? Like. I mean, come on, it's rude. <laughs> so, so uh, they were up for some whimsy, clearly. And clearly. She, anything is better than like for Eglantine Price and Amelius Brown. I bet anything is better than uh, oh, homeboy stabbed an orphan who's in my care. I can't. Amelius Brown is already a little bit legally shady, I think. Yeah. And Eglantine Price doesn't need drama like that. So that would be a bad scenario for them. So by comparison, the island of Nabumbu must seem like a whole bunch of fun. That's tr- well, yeah. Look at how much fun the fish are having. Well, no, the fish are having a great time. Um, I will say that, like, that underwater sequence was probably my favorite part of the whole movie. So uh, that would that song, uh, the, like, bobbing along, bobbing along, that song. Yeah. Would show up. I had, when I was a little kid, I had a whole bunch of, um, like, Disney sing-along videotapes. Yeah. And that would pop up a bunch on those. I might have had a, a, a video cassette of bed knobs and broomsticks, but I know I saw it a bunch when I was a kid. I want to say Disney Channel must have run it a whole bunch. Probably. Because I don't know where else I, unless I had a VHS copy, which I may have. Yeah. But it may, I, have, it may have been both. Yeah. You know, like you see that it's on Disney Channel and you're like, cool, I'm going to watch this. And you're like, I want to watch it again. And then you pop in the cassette and the cassette, like, oh by the God. time that one's done, they're re-showing it. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, look at Look at it. Look at them all dancing now. Look at them dancing for like an hour in the middle of this movie. Oh, cartoon fish. Fun. <laughs> they do. That Portobello Road sequence goes on for quite some time. Yeah, it goes on too long. It's it a, like... so, so there's a lot. Right. So, okay. So they meet Emilius Brown. They go after Emilius Brown because Eglantine Price is uh, pretty understandably upset that this correspondence course that presumably she was paying for, uh, he just canceled it like it's over the whole course is over i'm so sorry you don't get the last spell um she's mad because yeah like, i want a spell i want to make my shoes dance don't you want to make shoes i do come on um so she takes that once she enchants the bed knob which enables the bed to travel through like time and space uh they go find Amelius brown and Amelius brown is a total huckster as it turns out and he's like those work i just found an old book and it's just some words that I pulled out of an old book. Those work? And I guess he's immediately smitten with uh, Angela Lansbury because he sucks kind of and she doesn't. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you're a not sucky person who's above me. I love you. (laughs) Um, That's how it works. And it kind of is how it works, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) so so, uh, they go back to his house where he's basically squatting. Uh, in this really nice house, but yeah. because there's an unexploded bomb in the front yard, everyone's cleared the neighborhood. So he gets to go and like squat at this super nice house where he allegedly has this book. He's got half of it. They don't have the other half of the book, so it doesn't have the spell that she's been seeking. Yeah. We got to go find this book. And I love that his idea is, well, there's this flea market I really like where they sell things. And if they sell things, they may sell that thing. (laughs) 
And so we're going to go to this big flea market called Portobello Road where allegedly you can buy anything and everything a chap can unload. You can uh, is sold off the barrel in Portobello Road. They must have the other half of this book available for purchase. Well, I mean, the 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 logic was that like he stole it while he was there. Like like yeah. <laughs> I just I get it. I get it. And we just and then we just hang out there all day with them. Oh yeah. Well, like everyone dances and so for a movie for a movie released in 1971, I will say for the most part it's held up okay as far as majorly problematic elements until you get to Portobello Road <laughs> wherein we just sort of it's like, you know what? Fuck it, racism. <laughs> uh yes. you can I, you can even like there are no other black people in the movie. And, like, the only time black people show up in this movie is, let's go to this wacky place where you can find anything. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's I uncomfortable. Mean, at least the, they weren't for sale. Uh, I will say, though, t- tell me if you disagree. I do think um, the black people in the sequence fare ever so slightly better than the representation of uh, brown people yes. in the very same sequence. Um, yes. So there's... If, if you haven't seen it, guys, like we start out with the Navy, like the, the idea is that everyone dancing since um, we're at war, there are all these different people from different like um, like armies or whatever. Um, just hang it out in this flea market. Are they so, from armies? I think so. I thought that, so. I, I, I thought know, that that like, was the thing. The, most of them dressed like they were just there to dance. Interesting. <laughs> you know where I'm going today? To the mall. To dance. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, like, because we start with the Navy, and then I felt like That's the, true. We have we do have the sailors. Like, the very, like, think, like, um... Like you know, Donald like, Duck. Or, like, or even, outfits. like, you know, like, like um, you know, New York, New York. Like, those, you know, like, uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, right? In the song and dancey type of sailors. Okay. As opposed to, like, real Navy men. Um, right. Like, but I love the idea that movie... Navy personnel, at least of a certain era, they clearly joined up because this is the branch of the military that dances. Oh, yeah, of course. They're always in these movies from this era of a certain tone, they're always dancing. And you know what I bet? I bet if I was a young man in the late 1960s and I was looking to like how best to serve my country, I'd be like, wait, this branch is the dancy branch? <laughs> and they're at sea? Shanties and such? Oh, yeah. Where do I sign up? It's that sweet romantic. <laughs> no shit. So we do. We see some very like, cartoony sailors, ostensibly from the navy, right? Uh, and then, then, then the racism starts. Where we get like, <laughs> I feel like I, I couldn't tell if it was like there was a, just a parade of people in in brown outfits and turbans, and um, I feel like most of them were in brown face. I and was, there was gonna one say black dude. I'm reasonably certain these were not. Actually, brown people. No, they were not. Um, and then, like, the sequence just keeps going. Where, like, you get you get a, a sequence where there are a bunch of like, like jazzy jazzy dancers with with their uh, cool barrel drums, um, with very like, like a very like uh, Caribbean vibe. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, what are you what are you doing here? Yeah. What? Are, what why? Yeah. We just pivoted real hard into. Oh, here's another culture. Yep, we're appropriating. <laughs> and then the Scots come in, and you're like, "That's all right. right!" All of a sudden, there's kilts. Yeah, um, and it's like, okay, this is less racist, still problematic. I think so. There's, you know, what my favorite thing about any dance sequence, um, it's it's the uh, it's the, the white person off to the side trying to do the moves. Um, so this in this movie, it was the um, the girl orphan i don't remember her name it was like caroline or Ginny. in or... my head all little girl british orphans in stories where there's like three to four of them and they're all siblings it's always susan uh, and i'm pretty sure it's susan in narnia probably uh like oh, there's yeah, a little there's one that's a like susan there's a little one that's like cindy or yeah. like uh uh swampy or something <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't oh my gosh swampy. swampy's my favorite narnia character um, but, but no, i'm pretty sure um, the older the older sister is susan so now they're all 
Susan. Too. Got it. Well, uh, bed knobs and broomsticks. Susan um, was over just trying to do the the moves that all the other people <laughs> were doing. And at a certain point, she like hops in with the Scots, and she's like, "Yeah, let's do some stuff." And one of them's like, "Cool, hey, little girl." And the other ones don't pay any attention to her. Um, but that's my favorite thing in any like it happens a lot in a lot of like movies with like dance sequences just the white the white people like, dancing just like uh there's always a white person off to the side trying to do the dance badly um and it like it's one of my favorite things i don't know why it happens and i don't know why it's a big trope but it's like i love it i i want to say it's not something that's there intentionally it's something that happens when you try and put white people dancing in a movie i guess maybe and it be, it became a trope because it happens every time. I blame Bedknobs and Broomsticks for that trope. I think they were like, you know what? This little girl's on to something. Put put someone on the side. Just make an awkward white person appear. Hell <laughs> yeah. of nothing. Pull focus. <laughs> Pull focus away from the cultural something. Well, it's like it's like the the Deadpool rule. If you if you point it out, then it's a joke. Right. You know. So like, you just put that white person in there, show them doing it wrong, and you're like, "Ha ha, we get it. We're in on the joke, guys." Ha-ha. Right. There is no joke. It's just a poor, exploited white girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Pretty much. Oh, man. Um. So so the music for you was like a big part of like your enjoyment of this movie. Um. Sort of. I mean, there are songs that, like, I could definitely, like, I'd completely forgotten. I knew there was a song right before they get on the bed and leave, the the Age of Non-Believing song. Yeah. Which I actually kind of liked the message of, but I forgot that song completely. I knew there was a song there, but I yeah. forgot. But there are other songs in the movie just because of how much play it got in my house when I was a little kid. Yeah. Like, I never forgot... Uh, Portobello Road, like I never forgot that refrain. Portobello Road, Portobello Road, street where the riches of ages are sold. Anything and everything a chap can unload is sold off the barrel on Portobello Road, bitch. Damn. Um, so I never forgot that. I heard the the you know beautiful Briny Sea song, um, a whole bunch because it was like uh, I saw the movie, but also like that song was the song that for whatever reason it's like let's just throw this on like the sing along tapes and whatnot. Yeah. Um. But then, man, like, how you gonna forget Traguna McCoydes and Tricorum Sanctus D? That, that substitutionary locomotion, which is so short. It's like one of the shortest songs, I feel like. Yeah. And they hop in and out of it. But that song, I don't even remember the lyrics, but I never forgot the the melody of it. And I never I never forgot uh, Traguna McCoydes, Tricorum Sanctus D, which is the substitutionary locomotion spell. Yeah. Which, again, kids... Make shit that doesn't move, move. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I did find, I felt like it was, what are the words I'm looking for? Goofy? Um, <laughs> I mean, yes, it was goofy, but like, I I did like how almost organically most of the like, musical sequences took place. Like, having not seen... Like a like a Mary Poppins or a Sound of Music or anything. Like I don't know how those usually like are integrated into well, the Sound of whole Music mix. isn't like a Disney thing. What? Sound of Music's just Sound of Music. Oh yeah, yeah. But, but there are like, like a Disney songs property. in it, right? Well, yeah, and Julie Andrews is in and Julie, it. Yeah. Oh, it's a musical with Julie Andrews, but not right. all musicals with Julie Andrews are Disney properties. No, she she only does her musicals with Disney. That's that's her jam. Um, um, but yeah, no, it is a musical, yes. But it's not, uh, there are no cartoon penguins in it. Or cartoon animals playing sports. <laughs> Though, if there were, I may have watched Sound of Music more times than I have. <laughs> um, I think, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so you felt like so, they kind of got into it pretty organically. Yeah, pretty organically. Which like, is good, and- right? Like the the rule, not the rule, but like the way I've always heard musicals described as far as like how you integrate your songs organically into your story yeah. is like, okay, we're at a point in the story where a character needs to express something really big, emotional, something kind of profound. And the only way, like words won't do it. The only way to express that thing is through song if that tracks it's like i can't express it other than to express it fully in a big way and that's how you get 
that's kind of how you earn your song as a story moment. Yeah. So is that kind of like you feel like they did an okay job of I have to express something and here's a, like here's my way into this song is like I'm going to express this thing. Um, I do, but at the same time, I also feel like they made it a point to make every song feel diegetic. Like someone gets on a piano and is like, yo. I'm going to just start playing. Oh my God, or that's like, right. In, um, well, actually, so that's a weird, that's in Portobello Road, yes. which is the song already started. Like that sequence starts where he's basically like, I know where we can go. Portobello, <laughs> cut two. You know what I mean? Like right. we start right like that. And that sequence goes on for so long that we keep having to find ways in and out of the song. And one of them that moment you're describing, Emilius Brown walks up to a street piano player and is basically like, fuck off, and like <laughs> kicks him off of his piano and sits down at the piano. It's just like, do, 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 yeah. about, run, and shit. And there's another point. Um, <laughs> there's another moment in the song where Eglantine Price is looking for the other half of the book. So she's looking at different like booksellers, book cards. She's looking at over, under, you know, um, and there's a moment, and this would this would freak me out. There's a moment where she's looking, and the bookseller keeps handing her books or like saying the names of different books. Yeah, that aren't the books she's looking for. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, Amelia's Brown pops over and starts doing it too. <laughs> that would freak me out if I was at a bookstore and I was like, I'm looking for this specific thing, and then the bookseller starts just arbitrarily saying titles of books to you over and over that have no bearing on the thing you just said you were there to look for, and then your friend comes over and starts doing it too? That would fuck with my shit. That's how you upsell people, baby. <laughs> That's how you, you like you just go in and you're like, yo, 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 you want that book, you know what goes well with it? Um, this this Toe Jam uh, guide book. That's, yep, that's your pull. <laughs> Toe Jam guidebook. You could have gone with literally anything. <laughs> literally anything. Um, I don't think they sell that book. <laughs> is it like? Is it like? Um, because you said Toe Jam guidebook. Is it? Yeah. How, it's like, like a, a what do you do when you have Toe Jam, or is it a guide to different types of Toe Jam? Like here's this kind of Toe Jam, and here's its properties. Here's some pictures. Here's some fun trivia. And if you turn the page, here's a different kind of Toe Jam with the same information. Well, if you want to know, you're gonna to have to buy the book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's um, all, it's, it's, they're all venom. It turns <laughs> out they're all symbiotes. <laughs> That's just what Toe Jam is. It's like little baby symbiotes. Pancreas. <laughs> uh, it's uh, not, it doesn't have to be connected to anything at all. It's just pancreas. It just, it just, it tickles me. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's like that scene in um, Atlanta season one where they're at the restaurant and the, the waitress keeps coming by and she's like, oh my gosh, if you want this, you should totally get the snapper and get this other uh, uh, appetizer. Uh, and and the, the girlfriend keeps being like, you know what? Yeah, let's do that. Totally. Uh, and then she, she being An- Angela Lansbury, is just like, look, motherfucker, I just want this one thing and I'm just trying to have a good night and you're fucking me up. I'm going to turn you into a rabbit. That's <laughs> <laughs> what she does. Whenever somebody makes her mad, she turns them into a rabbit. That's true. I actually, um, speaking of the rabbits, we had some pretty sweet rabbit actors in this motion picture. That's what I was gonna say. Like the act, the like rabbits are so well trained. Yeah. Like especially the one where the rabbit got the book from yes. the shelf. Yeah. I was like, how the fuck do you train a, a rabbit to do that? Right. Because it was just it was one shot. Like it wasn't like okay, we're doing a super tight close up of just like a bunny paw knocking it down. You actually watch a, a live white rabbit hop up, go to the shelf, and with his little bunny hand take the book down off yeah. the shelf and just kind of like, you know, knock it down. He doesn't like grab it in his paws and somehow hop down himself, <laughs> but like takes a specific book, boom, knocks it down. Yeah. Like they actually got a bunny to do that in one like unbroken take. Right. Um, I mean, how many rabbits do you think it took to like, do you think all of the rabbits were the same rabbit or do you think that they had a bunch of rabbits that they used throughout? I would assume there have to be a few, right? 
Maybe. And I don't know. I assume there aren't like union rules for rabbits the way like if you have a baby on set, they can only work for what, like 20 minutes or something like that. I Tops. Mean, back then. I mean, I'm sure that there are now. I think back then they were just like, all right, if a rabbit dies, it dies. Right. You the know? bunnies hadn't unionized yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and like even once like even once they had there was a, a period in which the people who started the union were different from the generation that were like keeping it going so they lost their way for a little while I love, I love the idea that maybe they had to keep cycling through rabbits because the little kid who played Charlie kept eating them like <laughs> <laughs> little like Charlie where where's the rabbit and he just has blood all over his face and he's like I don't Travelloy, that's us. <laughs> like, oh, not for nothing. This kid tries to blackmail a witch. Like, one of the first things this kid does when he discovers that, like, uh, Miss Price is a witch and flies on broomsticks, he's like, well, what can I get out of this bitch? Right. <laughs> and he literally, he's like, well, the rules are going to change around here, and I bet you're rich. Pay me. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I mean, look, that kid is a future um, Mr. Dr. Professor Brown. He was on his way, and then he's just like, oh, no, this path leads to loserdom. I'm going to change my ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like, speaking of uh, Professor Brown, yeah. I really like that moment when the like adoption lady comes by and all the kids were like, you're our new dad, right? And he's like, no, I gotta fuck. I gotta go. <laughs> right. I, I gotta get out of here. Right. And the movie really feels like I wanted to talk about the like the very end of this movie because the movie feels like it's absolutely arcing towards they're gonna like fall in love, Miss Price and, and Amelius Brown, and he is gonna be a little bit like a surrogate dad to the kids. Like they'll stay with Miss Price. They've shared this adventure. They've all bonded. They've seen some magical stuff. Like, who are you going to connect with now? I've been to the Isle of Naboomboo, bitch. What's our experiential <laughs> overlap? So, you know, like, they've all bonded. It really feels like it's arcing towards Amelius Brown stepping in to be a surrogate dad for these kids. And were it not for the final moments of the movie, we could kind of assume, like, oh, well, that's kind of what probably happens. Right. But no. At the very end of the movie, utterly arbitrarily, we pivot to, no, Amelius Brown is going off to war. <laughs> I actually really liked that, though. Really? Um, I did. Because it connected for me because it really felt like a big pivot. It, okay. I kind of like it as an arc for him. Yes. From kind of being like, I'm a no-account huckster to, well, let me see what I can do to contribute and help the effort and, and fight the good fight. Yeah. I like it on paper. I don't actually think... That was his arc in the movie. I think his arc in the movie, the way the movie was laying that track for me was, I'm going to go from being like a no account huckster to being like part of this family and kind of maybe being a surrogate dad for these kids. Maybe. I and feel it, wasn't, like... it wasn't like labored, but that's maybe where like movies like this have conditioned me to read that into it right and so this at the end on paper i think works as an arc for him but it didn't feel to me like we were actually we spent a lot of time on his relationship with miss price and the kids yeah and how that changes him but we don't spend a lot of time on like what am i doing in my own life outside of my relationship with this woman and these kids. do you know what i mean yeah well yes though i think that like I feel like he, the trajectory, the trajectory of his character. Um, one, I didn't. I I guess I was never really rooting for him to be with Angela Lansbury, and that like he was kind of a uh, misogynist, and he kept being like, "Women are blah fucking fucking women." He really um, does. Oh, uh, there's that line where they're leaving the Isle of Naboomboo and he's like, I'll hold on to the Star of Astroth. Women are always losing things. Right. It's I was like, like no, thank you. Um, no, it wasn't so much that I was rooting for them to get together. It's just, I guess, based on my, um, kind of what I've internalized as an audience member. Yeah. It's like, that's kind of what it felt like the movie was building towards. And it right. really felt like, in terms of their dynamics, that that's kind of what it, what it felt like it was about. Even though, yeah, like, Eglantine Price never really she comes around to like uh, Emilius you're a good guy and like you helped us fight Nazis and stuff like, right. I like you we're friends now but she's never like Ooh, Emilius oh no not at all look at all these books that aren't yours so like 
uh, I always felt like his his arc was about like finding something beyond himself to care about. And I, I feel like even if he had ended up being this surrogate father figure to these kids, like it would have been a thing that still would have been about him and that like him not feeling like he's alone and him okay. finding people who accepted him. But like instead it's him um, kind of seeing that like there's this bigger thing to fight for. Okay. And him like joining up with that and becoming a part of the nation that he's in. Okay. Interesting. I actually, I do. I like that a lot on paper. I just didn't feel like we were really like the, the war is backdrop to the movie more than the movies ever about it at all until the end when all of a sudden like Nazis are storming the beach and shit. Um, so maybe maybe that's it. Like I didn't feel like the war was enough of a presence in the movie till the very end and we didn't if you remember for much of that Emilius Brown is sleeping at the train station until he comes back, turns into a bunny, himself he turns himself into a bunny yeah. and then comes in and helps him out, but like um I guess I didn't feel like we tied his trajectory into that specifically enough mm. and we didn't have him like it totally the way you describe it it totally tracks for me on paper and I actually really like how like oh wow there is something bigger than me that isn't in it's in no way selfish it's in no way feeding my personal needs or wants or desires it is going out and fighting the good fight for the sake of others I actually really love that on paper yeah I didn't feel like we threaded it through the story enough yeah. for me. So it really feels arbitrary at the end. It's like, wait, where they like you. The kids kind of like want you to be their dad. Where are you going? I mean, you could also just think of it as, as an extension of him leaving in that, like before he was just going to the train station, but he's like, look, I can save face and make it seem like I'm still a good guy. That's while leaving these kids. My thing was like, you know how like, um, it's sort of like how he figures out immediately that, oh, Eglantine Price can actually do these spells. Oh, God, she's better than me. Oh, I better glom on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. She just fought Nazis with magic. Well, I got to one-up this bitch now. <laughs> I'm going to war. Oh, <laughs> uh, jeez. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's how that character works. It's too competitive. Ah, but then at the end... Of the movie, too. And I don't... Because it's less fun, I'm not willing to accept it. But Eglantine Price has a moment where she's like, Nah, I'm not going to be a witch anymore. (laughs) She's like, I just proved that I am maybe the greatest weapon the Allies have against the Nazis. But you know what? I'm going (laughs) to... I did it. I performed some service. I... scared those like six or seven Nazis. Yeah. I'm good. No more magic for me. Well, you know, it's one of those things. It's like the, the Batman rule where like if, if they start, uh, if, if the allies start using witches, then the Axis will start developing their own witches and it'll just escalate into this like all out magic war. Uh, it's like um, uh, Eglantine Price is sort of Batman at the end of the Dark Knight. And into Dark Knight Rises, where it's sort of like, oh, okay. Just like how, oh, all right, well, Batman made a difference enough that the police could deal with the mob, and now a Batman is no longer needed. Right. So it's kind of like that. Well, okay, Eglantine Price made enough of a dent that now the allies can handle the axis, and she's no longer needed. Exactly. Same difference. And now all of the superstitious, cowardly uh, axis people will go back to their homes and be like, Oh, jeez. The English have witches. <laughs> what nationality is that? I'm from Germany. Uh, yeah. That's is that, is that not how a, the... I think it's closer to like Swedish, a cartoon Italian. Like a Swedish, yeah. Um, so, so wait, how does the German accent work? Uh, from um, Germany. I'm from yeah, Germany. Yeah, but they have witchcraft oh, in the yes. UK. They have oh, the witchcraft. Yeah. We need our own Eglantine Prize. Who will serve the Führer and uh, do Nazi things with magic? You could say I'm going to pay the price. Ooh. <laughs> Stop it. Now it's bad. Now it's bad. It was gold before, now it's bad. Um, 
Yeah, we could really we could use an Eglantine price now. I think and Lansbury's still alive. It ain't too late. That's true. I um I for a second for forgot that she was also the teacup from uh Beauty and from Beast? Beauty and the Beast. And so I was like, can Angela Lansbury sing? Um She was okay, the original Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd, you heathen. None of those things mean anything to me. <laughs> um I I just I just forgot. And so like before the movie started or like before she even had sang her first bars, I was like, is she like, no, because even in my notes, I just kept calling her murder. She wrote. (laughs) Um, And so I just couldn't remember. And then I was like, as soon as she started singing, I was like, oh yeah, she's the teacup. She's, she's beauty, beauty and the beast. Tale as old as time. That's her. (laughs) What? I just think that's really funny that you just kept calling her murder she wrote. <laughs> Is am I wrong? Where's the lie? Uh, it's true though. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. Uh yes. So it's not it's not too late. We could do we could do, in a world where Mary Poppins is coming back. And uh that was 64. Yeah. I believe same director, but we're bringing back Mary Poppins. So maybe in another six years, we'll be due for uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, twenty forty nine. Ooh, and hopefully Angela Lansbury uh, continues to be with us for decades to come, uh, because she is, as you know, an international treasure. Yes, uh, but she can come back, and she could be like the Harrison Ford, and like there's a new, uh, there's a new, like who would be the young, the new, like who's the who's the equivalent, the female equivalent of Ryan Gosling right now? Um. I mean, I feel like everyone's using Sophie Turner. Uh, Sophie Turner? Is that her name? Sansa? Sansa, yeah. Everyone's using her for everything. Okay. So, like, it'd be her or Cara Delevingne or... or I, um, I'm not. I'm not liking it. You know what? You know okay. what? I, you know who I? You know who I'd accept? No, like you're you're listing them off, and I'm like, nah, none of them I think are a good fit. You know who? I, this is gonna be controversial. You know who I I would watch in who? in that role? Kristen Stewart. Okay. I would I would actually watch Kristen Stewart because she could be the young like. She's cynical and like Eglantine Price is such a whimsical like she she can be stern and she takes she takes her business very seriously, but she's very warm and she's very like, you know, she's she's into the whimsy. Uh, she's like, you know, she's the, she's the person who like when she finds herself under the sea uh, in uh, Nabumbu Lagoon with the cartoon fish doing songs and dances. She's like, fuck, yeah, that's my shit. Mm. Uh, but Kristen Stewart is like the young cynical like she's just coming into witchery and so there's a cool like potential personality clash Got i don't it. does kristen stewart sing uh i don't think she does okay. uh, i well, think so she'll we'll like... have to we'll have to do we'll have to get like rihanna to do her her, her vocals and yeah. rihanna no rihanna has to be in the movie because otherwise that's just weird and problematic it's weird anyway but we have to give rihanna like uh the yeah. third lead and then she does her own vocals and then also kristen stewart's vocals i mean why why not one I feel like you can only go the other way in that like it has to be a black person doing a white like it like they did with Simba in uh the Lion King where it was uh Matthew Broderick was like his uh speaking voice yeah or or when he's a kid Jonathan Taylor Thomas Thomas speaking voice and then the kid who played um Michael Jackson in the Jackson 5 movie was his singing voice really yes I mean I knew Uh, it wasn't the same I just didn't know who who was the singing voice interesting who's that guy um, if you watched uh, Smart Guy, he was the older brother, Marcus. Um, huh. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I feel like I changed my I changed my my casting pick. I want it to be Letitia Wright. Um, and yes. oh my God, let's oh, just yeah. scrub. Let's just scrub Rihanna having to dub Kristen Stewart's <laughs> singing voice. Let's just ru- sorry, sorry, Rihanna, you'll land on your feet. I Kristen mean, Stewart's she can also fine. she can still be in there. I'd like to imagine that. Um, Rihanna is like the the other witch. Like like there's there's uh, Angela Lansbury who's like trying to teach her one thing, and then uh, it's like a clash of old versus new where Rihanna comes in. Can and she she's like be like, the villain? She could. Yeah. Oh my god! Right, and it's like it's like uh, progress is great, but sometimes it can be seductive and dangerous. And sometimes people are bending the arc of progress for their own nefarious means. Yeah. And so she's torn. Yeah. Letitia Wright can be torn between two worlds. And, and Angela Lansbury's like, but like, but like, come on, like cartoon fish, cartoon fish and soccer. And then Rihanna can be like, but like, I don't know, computers or something. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, definitely. That's um, smartphones. <laughs> smartphones like, are the real magic. <laughs> magic is only science you don't understand yet. Come do magic for <laughs> Tesla. <laughs> and the t-shirt's like, what do I do? Yeah. She com- in the, By the end, she ends up combining the two. And it's like a magic cell phone or like a, a cool she iPad. She invents the sonic screwdriver. And we realize it's all been a big Doctor Who origin story this entire time. And that's how Disney reveals they bought that shit, too. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not going to lie, though. If like I give it a couple decades. But if, if uh, Doctor Who's still around then, if Letitia could be the new Doctor. Oh, oh fuck ooh. yeah. Oh. Yeah. oh, yeah. She oh, could yeah. do it. Oh. Well, once, oh. once we finally shook off the the... It can only be a man thing. Yeah, we could, we we right. The next the next obvious step is oh, we we can shake off the he's only white thing, right? Well, yeah, like we could we just I could just go right. Can that just can that just go? I mean, it's it's actually already canon that like race changes with um with a with regeneration, and that in one of the Capaldi episodes, um, you get a time lord who goes from being an old white man to a uh, middle-aged black woman. Uh, I want that season of Doctor Who. (laughs) Uh, It's cool. It's really cool. That sounds rife with social commentary. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Fuck, you'd watch that. I would, yes. Don't laugh. You'd watch the shit out of that. I'm I'm more laughing at your expression than anything. That sounds so good. Doesn't that sound like an amazing season of television? Yes, it does. Ugh. Um, but yeah. So are there any last thoughts you have on bed knobs and broomsticks? Oh, so many. Um, man, I don't know. I, uh, You know, watching it again, and I haven't seen this movie in 15 years plus. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, uh, it, it feels like such an excellent, like... Um, like like a Sunday after afternoon movie from my childhood. Okay, feels like a really great like it's the middle of the day. Now this this doesn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Because everything's on demand. Everything's streaming. You have no matter what time or what day it is, you have thousands of options at your disposal. So this doesn't really exist anymore. But you know, like when we were kids, even even once we started to get like you know like digital cable in our homes, it was still you were working from a more limited stock it was like whatever was on tv at the time which is how you'd catch a lot of kind of lazy sunday afternoon stuff or it's whatever you had on your shelf like if you had a, a some vhs's or whatever yeah and that's kind of how i fell into this i think it was a, it was maybe on disney channel a whole bunch and i maybe had the vhs but it'd be something that would get thrown on like big like lazy days with nothing going on for hours on either side and it's just something you can have and you can kind of it's not like a it's not like a rip roaring thrill ride, you know what I mean? It kind of moves along. It's not. Um, I think the only time it gets kind of boring is like the big, just the overly elongated dance break in the middle of Portobello Road. Right. But for the most part, no, it just kind of moves along in its own thing. It's very uh, whimsical. It's very um, light. There's really nothing heavy, even though she uses magic to fight Nazis. There's really nothing all that heavy about it. Yeah. It's very sort of um, comfortable. Yeah, and it's very if you're a fan of like classic Disney live action animated hybrids like Mary Poppins, like if you're a fan of Mary Poppins, you'll find something to get into here. And if you're not a fan of Angela Lansbury, get out, <laughs> leave. Why are you here? I thought I knew you, <laughs> <laughs> guys. He's really hurt right now. It's, it's so sad. There's like a single tear going down his face. He's not mad. He's mostly just disappointed. Shattered. Um, shattered. <laughs> uh, as I, uh, as, as uh, the wise man Mick Jagger once said, Shooey, I'm in tatters. Shooey, I'm shattered. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That, uh, he says that. Um, uh, I, I agree. I think it is... Um, I think it's a really nice, um, just like a, a light 
I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a popcorn movie because that like is now synonymous with like blockbusters. But like it's a it's a very like nice thing to just kind of throw on when you want to feel good. You don't want to think about anything like super heavy. I mean, even though there are Nazis, like they're very they're like they're, slapstick Nazis. They're like they're barely Nazis. You right. know what I mean? Like we don't we barely do anything to identify them as such, other than like if you look. There are swastikas occasionally. Like you don't even they're not even that highlighted in the movie. Right. You know it, they're Nazis because of the time period and yes, they, you see them speaking German a bit, but like we're not we're not delving into the horrors of the Holocaust in World War II in this picture. Right. Yeah, there was a moment when he was like, "We'll take you somewhere else." And I was like, "Is he talking about a camp?" And it's like, "No, we're taking <laughs> no, you to this other building. Yes. We're taking you from this building to this building. See, it's another place." <laughs> You were so scared. Yeah, it's, no, it's very that. light. So not light. To, maybe later, not now. Um, and there are just a lot of like fun sequences. Again, I, I really like. Even if you don't watch the whole movie, which you should, um, just watch the the underwater dance sequence where they're doing a lot of the like underwater physics and and like I imagine the poor animators who had to who had to draw in all the bubbles of every time they moved um, were either really excited or really sad. But like. That sequence alone, like, is is it's worth watching the movie so for. Charming, yeah. And again, like, I'll take this moment to reiterate, like I like I stated uh, up top, came out in 1971. It did it did get the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Uh, there's some really impressive integration of the 2D animation and the live action actors. The moment where I really went, oh, whoa, this is legit impressive. Was uh, was actually after that when uh, the bear finds them on the Isle of Nabumbu, like the beach. Yeah. And he's getting ready to throw Emilius Brown back into the ocean. Yeah. The way they kind of had the the bear's two D animated paws integrating with Emilius Brown's clothing. Oh. Um, I thought was real. Just as he was kind of taking him and swinging him back, I was like, yeah. Oh wow, that's really impressive. Like it's and it's something you don't see anymore because nobody does hand drawn two D animation anymore. Right. If they remade bed knobs and broomsticks, it really would. These these would be like probably CG photorealistic animals. It'd be like the Jungle Book. Yeah. Um. So you don't see this anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is way harder to do. Oh yeah. And it's very 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 impressive to me. So I think the accolades are well earned. I agree. Um. Cool. Well that kind of brings us to the end of the show yeah uh thank you guys for joining us uh thank you for your patience while we kind of dealt with some other stuff uh, over the last couple weeks life comes um, at you fast kids oh boy it does but we're back hell we're yeah we're doing it we're back we're back in the clock we've been uh we've been, we've been a little derelict because uh we, we are we're actually real people <laughs> and like, we're not just disembodied voices you hear occasionally through your stereo or headphones uh no we're real people and sometimes yeah. life does come at you fast but like no we're uh we're back yeah we're here um, oh <laughs> and we're really looking forward to our witch themed uh, october um, this, you know, we did bed knobs and broomsticks this time. Oh, yeah, you're gonna tell them, um, tell them what's coming up. Uh, next week we are going a little darker with the witches. A little darker. Um, Everything is darker than bed knobs and broomsticks. That's true. Harry Potter is infinitely darker, and like little kids watch those. <laughs> well, the first one not as much. First one's still darker. Okay, I guess you There's do a have dude a dude in the back of another dude's head. Yes, fair enough. Can you imagine if Amelius Brown took off his hat and the fucking face was like Eklund? <laughs> and she's like, now I will date you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, um yeah, but then uh again again a tentative, but like we know we know you just you really dug that, didn't my, you? My brain went somewhere else. Um It's probably nope, it's probably not know. safe for work, nope, isn't it? Not at all. Uh, uh that's the bed knobs and broomsticks sequel I wanna see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want Warners to buy it away from Disney so we can get that movie. Ooh. Um so uh, yeah, so uh, we're going a little bit, a little bit darker. What are we doing? We're doing the witches, which um, I have not, I've not seen. Yeah, um, I'm really interested to to see how you feel about this. I movie. googled it and I saw a couple of stills and I went, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> that looks bonkers. Um, it's great. And yeah. then uh, the week after that, T- very tentatively but very, very exciting. Uh, gonna do, gonna throw a little uh, uh, huckus puckus yes. your way, kids. Uh, we couldn't do, could not do a witch theme month without uh hitting on uh uh the 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 
beloved uh, uh, greatest motion picture of all time, the real Citizen Kane. <laughs> Hocus Pocus. <laughs> so we'll be we'll be talking about Hocus Pocus. That show should probably uh, will presumably be our uh, our day of Halloween show. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to getting a couple of guests uh, back in a couple a couple of uh, uh, shows where it's I think just going to be the two of us uh, this month. But hopefully for our our Halloween show, we're going to get uh, some some guests in. We're we're kind of excited to to spend a little bit of time with them. We'll talk about it. I think a little bit closer to the actual show. But yes, uh, some witchery, some all over uh, witchery, all of them witches month uh, yeah. on missing out. Oh yeah, and uh, Lex, if they want to curse you, uh, where can they find you? Ooh, if you if you if you want to share your favorite uh, spells from uh, the half of the book that you have, uh, all over social media at at the Lex Michael. Let's uh, let's substitutionary locomote some stuff. Hell yeah, Traguna McCoy's Tracorum Sanctity kids. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, and you can turn me into a rabbit at Tari J. That's oh T A U R I J A Y. Sorry, I'm like talking over your handle because I'm so overcome <laughs> with the image of you as a rabbit, one of the really well trained bed knobs and broomsticks rabbits, just doing all of our tech stuff, like fucking setting the mics up and shit. And you've got Ooh. the headphones on and you're just like wiggling your nose. And I'm like, that is a salient point about <laughs> this thing, Tari. <laughs> You just hear like just chewing. My God, I never thought about it that way. You're right. This character probably would have done this, guys. I think um, Lex, has go- Lex has gone crazy. He really Tari's likes that never rabbit. existed. Like he really likes that rabbit he got. <laughs> who's who? Whose apartment am I in? If you're over. <laughs> um, sorry. I uh, one more time. Where where are you? Where are you on social media? Um, yeah, they know where to find me. But you can find the show. At Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Also, uh, you can hit up the Missing Out hotline. Let us know what you're into. We'll integrate it into Missing Out Mondays. Uh, that number is 978-MISS-OUT. That number again, 978-MISS-OUT. Uh, call it, uh, leave us a voice message, and boom, bang, boom, you will integrate it on the show. Um, also, if you have a chance, go on to iTunes or Google Play Store or wherever you find this podcast. Leave us a rating to help us, uh, other people find us. Because as we've said, the best way to blark it is word of mouth. Did you say blark it? Yep, blark it. The best way to blark it is word of mouth. Hey. Um, but yeah, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, and we will see you next week. <laughs> oh, it's, it's creepy. See, like this this sign off is darker than bed knobs and broomsticks. <laughs> Bye. Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wikiship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is pure editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruth Ann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts.